0: Hey, David, the vaccine has arrived, hasn't it? No, it's in the freezers, John. Then the feds are keeping half, then the states are keeping half, and very little is getting into the upper arm. What? Welcome to Care Talk, your vacation home for incisive debate about healthcare, business and policy. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the CEO of CareCentrics. So, John, Merry Christmas. The Pfizer and Moderna vaccines are both approved. They're just sealed up and wrapped in a nice gift wrap. How's everything going? Good news. Good news, David. Good news, but it
1: only is good news if it gets distributed wisely. How do you think how do you think that's going? How's the distribution of the vaccines going?
0: Well, John, we sort of fooled ourselves before with this sort of uh, red herring, which was the cold chain problem, all the freezers that we needed. We talked about that uh, before the deep freeze. And it turns out that's actually not the real problem that seems to be getting around in the freezers. But a lot of the doses are just sitting in the freezers, John. They need to free the doses from the freezers.
1: Free the doses. I li- I like that.
0: Yeah, you know, I, I I must
1: admit, I was a skeptic that we would be able to exploit the technology we have to get a vaccine that was so effective. Now we've got two, exploiting this RNA technology that's just remarkable, and the and the results from the clinical trials are really outstanding. And now that we've got this technology available, it's sort of amazing. That we're bungling the distribution. I mean, just last week, uh, General Perna took personal responsibility for the explanation of the uh, of the distribution. But I, I, actually think there's some I think some structural flaws with the plan. I mean, we, it's great to see those boxes going out the door, but we are at peak, uh, you know, peak vulnerability as a society with the post-Thanksgiving, post Thanksgiving post post holiday. Surges. I think you know we had some of the, the the most devastating, deadly days in sort of COVID time uh, of our experience.
0: And uh, David, what can we do about this? So, John, let me try to underline this point because it's actually a, a major one. I think it's possible that that we we always knew there was going to be supply constraints. We wouldn't have enough, but I think we may only be using about twenty five percent of the doses that we actually have, John. I don't believe that. I,
1: I thought I was upset at 50%, but let's wait, how do you get to 20? So that would say
0: that of the vaccines, we have only one in four is being put into people's arms. So John, here's what seems to be happening. So the federal government is getting the vaccine and then they're distributing it. Now they're not distributing all of it. They're only distributing 45% of what they get. The reason is they're taking you know, 50% of it and keeping that because they want to use that for the second dose and then they have another 5% for the safety stock which which they have now they're sending out the 50% or 45% and then some of the states and this is happening in Massachusetts they're only releasing a certain portion of it because they want to have enough for the second dose so what's happening is this is like when this is like D day when this was written up in the Washington Post imagine you say well you we know we're going to need more bullets so let's hold them back now no what you want to do is use them all now and then there's more that are coming and you wait and you use those uh, you use those for the second dose.
1: Actually, d the wrong example, David. It's more like if you were being attacked at Pearl Harbor and the ships were sinking, do you say, "Well, you know what? Let's let's hold back on some of that ammunition because we got people dying next to us." But you know what? Maybe the, maybe the the, the, the the Japanese attackers have more. No, it's ridiculous. Um, I, I think that what, what's extraordinary to me is this incredible bet the federal government made on. Operation Warp Speed, the Trump administration has done a remarkable job at catalyzing with the private sector a revolutionary advance in a vaccine that can directly help us. David, I think that the results of the, uh, there's no question we've only measured uh, fully the clinical results of two doses, Uh, but I recall that the effect of just one dose on the Moderna side had potentially up to 80% efficacy. It's not about that, that high 90s efficacy. And we we bet on industry and government wants to produce for us, and they have. And it seems like by holding back those that second wave of doses, we're betting against our own ability to solve the problem. I, I
0: just, that, that baffles me. Well, John, so first of all, um, with the two doses, even if you are planning to give two doses, and that's the current plan, you still shouldn't hold back because they're manufacturing more. And if there's if there's supply chain problems, they can't manufacture it. We've got even worse problems. So you should just go ahead and do it. But you're right, John, with most vaccines that need two doses, like the measles vaccine, if you just get one dose, you get something like 90% of the way there. Now, this is a new technology. It's possible that won't hold in this case. But remember, we're in an emergency. And the early data from the clinical trials, actually both Moderna and Pfizer, demonstrate that you've got you know, 80 or 90% of the eventual efficacy from one dose. And they're talking about, well, maybe we should do a trial. Maybe we shouldn't. Pfizer's not planning to. You know, One reason is because it would cut the size of the market in half if it worked. But you don't need to do a clinical trial. You can use real-world evidence from what's happening out there and, and see what occurs right now. I, I just think we have to bet on ourselves. I mean, the other thing to think about
1: this, this is a substantially seasonally affected disease. You know We are at peak time now. Some estimates, I think the IMHE, one of the, the leading planning groups, thinks that this, the, the, the infection rate and death rate will peak in the January to February period, tail off into the spring and summer, may come back in the fall, but by then we'll be substantially better prepared. But if this is the peak time of being attacked by the virus, why we wouldn't bet on ourselves to expand the production Um, to the point where we have as many vaccines in people's arms. I mean, as I I, I recall these numbers, Dave, I think they're right. 52,000 nursing home residents are getting COVID a week. Roughly one in five, 21% plus are likely to die. So that would put us at roughly 40,000 deaths if you look at the difference between actually bringing all, just just vaccinating as many of those residents as we can versus waiting for the perfect plan. It just doesn't make sense. It feels like in America, we are trading the certain risk uh, a probability of, us with the infection rates we're at right now of vulnerable population deaths at a higher rate, versus the uncertain but potentially manageable risk that we won't be able to bring manufacturing online. I think we need to bet on ourselves. The way I understand it David, the feds are only releasing the first dose when they've got the second dose available. To your point about firing the ammunition we've got, I think we should be shipping, you know, shipping as many vaccines as we can to the states and getting them into the frontline workers and nursing home and, and and vulnerable people as quickly as possible. And bet on
0: ourselves. We've proven that we can. John, there we like to talk about uh, data and international comparisons on the show. There is a site uh, maintained by Oxford University called ourworldindata.org. And if you go there, you can see the number of vaccinations that have been given out for COVID-19 in different countries, and they have it rated per 100 people. So in the United States, uh, as of December 26, it's 059 Uh, Per hundred. In other words, about half a percent of people. In Israel, which is the leader, it's 4.37 as of December 27th. So even accounting for the other day, you know, it's something like seven times, uh, more than seven times the difference. Now, what are they doing there? They're actually treating it as a civil defense emergency. They have their equivalent of the Red Cross, they have military uh, that are helping, and they're doing 24 7 if they need to. All of the nursing homes are going to be vaccinated by next week. All done. And they're ready to go, and they're ready if they have uh, allergic reactions with an EpiPen, um, and they're just you know they're just on it. And this is using the same vaccine that we have here. So why can't we do that? No, I I totally agree. I think
1: it, it's a, it's it's just a it's bad decision making uh, at the center. Um, we should be trying to think about it. If if the most it's the greatest number of vulnerable people are likely to get sick and die now, we should be using the vaccines that we know can work. And I, and it's this is not about communicating the problem. I mean 14 governors complain to about the federal government explaining how many doses it would have. It's it's and there will be communications challenges for sure. This is about being overly conservative when we are certainly at risk. I I just don't think it 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 makes sense, but but let's let's get into um the the communication David in terms of who's getting and should get the vaccine. The the feds put out some somewhat complicated guidelines. Um, what did you think of those? And do you think that they're going to add to the confidence of people that they're going to get the vaccine in time, or just make it even more complicated?
0: Well, John, as long as we're trashing everything, let's let's continue with this one. So I thought, you know, everybody wants to be in group one, right? It's kind of like when you remember when we used to go to the airport back in the olden days, and they'd say, you know, okay, you got something on your on your ticket, and it says boarding group one, and so I'm going to be the first one. But then there's global services. First class, all you know, all your buddies, John, and then Group One is like the tenth group. So they have here; they've got Group, they have Group One, but it's really Group One A, Group One B, and Group One C. And by the time you, it sounds like American Airlines. <laughs> yeah, and by the time you get to Group One C, it's over two hundred million people out of a population of three hundred twenty-eight million, and that's you know, it's probably even more of the eligible population because because kids under sixteen are not you know are not included. So what's happened, John, is that even in this Group One A which is the frontline medical staff and long-term care residents, there's been problems. I'm going to tell you a problem I read about. Uh, it was in the New York Times, and they were talking about New York Presbyterian, famous hospital. And what happened was they, uh, some employees uh, got access to the vaccine, even though they were in low risk categories. And they just found out that, uh, oh, hey, Jay, we've got some vaccine. Let's go and pop it in, which the CEO was sad about. The other thing that's happening, and I also heard this from a source in New York State, is that uh, they decided, first of all, New York had this thing where they had five different categories that were different from the CDC one. Then they aligned it. And so this group 1A, they said, even within that, let's prioritize the inpatient provi- providers, which sounds good, right? Because they're dealing with the COVID patients, except when you're an inpatient, then that's actually where you've got the PPE in place, personal protective equipment. Whereas when you're dealing with these patients on an outpatient basis, you're it's more like the Wild West, you're kind of on your own. And so those providers are feeling... Uh, that they are not being valued. So we have got. Remember, John, a ton of stress also in the in the healthcare system. They just when people have been out there saying this is a hoax and so on, they've actually just been bombarded with patients, and people are reaching their breaking point. Well, I
1: think I think again that speaks to one dose is the way the, you know, one dose is the way. We will we will. I think we can bet on our manufacturing to to ramp up. People shouldn't forget that there are probably a hundred other vaccines in production. The most promising one currently that I think in, in in line is the AstraZeneca-Oxford vaccine that had a little bit of a, a, a sidestep in its clinical protocols, but does not require cold chain and is much more easily and more flexibly manufactured. Um, I, I actually think that the CDC was trying to give the states a lot of flexibility. Ultimately, we are a 50-state regime, regardless of whether we like it or not. And the states are going to uh, handle it the way the states are going to handle it. I hear there are even more challenges in uh, this, you know, the center of your universe, the People's Republic of Massachusetts. You talk a little bit about how they are not just doing 50, but less than 50, and then actually it's less than, it's around 45% of the vaccines. I mean, can you explain to me what's going on in Massachusetts?
0: <laughs> well, John, um, no. But I do hear that what happened is they had an, an app like at Mass General Hospital, you know, that that wasn't working and as a result, people didn't get their didn't get their doses. What I was thinking, John, it would be sort of like you know like you're sort of like hanging around at the end of the day and it's like hey you know anybody have a few extra doses like like in when they mark down food at the supermarket when it's about to go bad you could probably just like hang around and go and get a vaccine even a healthy youngster such as yourself john so that would be the upside of it so john on a positive note here let's say let's let's look ahead to the new year so there's a couple things that are going to happen one is the biden administration is going to is going to come up, come in and maybe you have some insight into how the transitions going as it relates to the COVID nineteen planning, and then the other thing is that as more doses are available, um, you know maybe it's going to be in the hands of those that are better at logistics, people like Walmart and CVS and so on. So, do you see any kind of you know hope in that direction? No, I actually think the pharmacies have been intimately involved. Walmart,
1: um, Walgreens, CVS are very engaged, and they do have the infrastructure to really be an extension of the arms and legs of the public health authority to actually make sure uh, initially vulnerable workers, sorry, vulnerable populations, particularly in nursing homes, have access to the vaccines. And I think they're pretty well organized. And we've got a huge retail store infrastructure with lots of pharmacists that are probably underutilized from a clinical perspective. Actually, that's really good news, but we have to flood the supply when we're being attacked by the virus. That's the biggest challenge. And I think the the vagueness and the uncertainty in the distribution is again, being hamstrung by the, by the, by the bureaucrats who are, are letting the perfect be the enemy of the good, the perfect being having a, a the knowing absolutely that you've got a second dose knowing absolutely that you've even got uh, a, a support for uh, any, any breakdowns in supply or any, va- anything that goes bad as opposed to just betting on our own distribution and infrastructure. Look, there's going to be a lot of uncertainty here, uh, the anti-vaxxers and all of that. I think we need to be be leaning into the technology that works and better ourselves production. And I bet we have the the infrastructure to you know vaccinate the vast majority of the country to break the back of this uh, by the spring uh, and certainly by the by the by the summer with enough people getting that critical and very effective vaccine. And I think the the Biden administration's big advantage is they believe in government. Uh, a, a government that works and they're going to try to make it work and partner with the with the states, Republican or Democrat, to actually deliver on breaking the back of this crisis, leveraging the vaccine and also the therapeutics that aren't, aren't being utilized as effectively. The problem with uh, a, 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 an administration that really doesn't believe in government is that when it then needs to use government, it's al- already undermined the confidence in those governing bodies to do their work and probably made it much harder to do. I, but I'm, I'm, I think in general, we're moving in the right direction. We just have to expand
0: faster at what we're doing right. Well, John, we may not have the Israel Defense Forces here, but we do have Walmart. And I think that should be a real shot on the arm in 2021, especially as the Biden administration comes in. I'm, I'm betting on Walmart. So let's uh, wrap it up, John, for this episode. And in fact, this year of Care Talk, which has been quite a year, John, with millions of downloads and many adoring fans that would be probably rushing us and, and pulling our hair out if it weren't uh, for the, uh, the pandemic. You don't have hair. In any case, that's it. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the CEO of CareCentrics. Thanks for listening.